everyone. Welcome to the Pastor Mike Drop podcast. My name is Emily Langpaul. We are in a series in our podcast this season about 20 questions, and today we're diving into proof of the resurrection and the evidence of it. We did a podcast on this topic in season one, and so whether or not you tuned in then or you're new to us, we decided to share some highlights with you today. So please enjoy listening. Christianity and the resurrection, really, it's impossible to peel those two things apart from each other. And that's not just preacher's opinion. The Apostle Paul says, uh, if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, we are most of all to be pitied. This is the guy God used to write most of the New Testament, mm. saying, if there's no resurrection, let's just stop being Christians. Mm-hmm. Let, let's, we're wasting our time. Yeah. But of course, he's saying that. He's brilliant. And he's mm-hmm. saying that inspired by the Holy Spirit because he knows Jesus did rise from the dead. Right. Uh, and, and the evidence is overwhelming. I want to say something right up front. I'm not going to prove the resurrection today. You're not going to prove the resurrection today. Nobody's mm-hmm. ever been able to do that. That's not our goal. We just want to point people to the evidence so that people who have faith realize there is a lot of reason uh, and evidence underneath that faith. It's not just some blind, crazy leap of faith. And for those who are skeptical and those who are actually approaching this with an open mind and an open heart, maybe we can uh, point them to some some new evidence or or to get them to dive in and do some more research. Mm-hmm. On that note... I want to recommend a few books because there's no way we can cover it all in one podcast. Um, have you read or have heard of Lee Strobel before? Emily? Oh, yeah. So, Lee wrote a book a couple of decades plus ago called The Case for Christ. He was a journalist for the Chicago Tribune, investigative reporter, and he wanted to write about how Christianity was just uh, a manufactured fallacy. And so, he started diving into the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Mm -hmm. because he heard from another Christian that that's really at the heart of our Christian faith. And much to his surprise, he went from atheism to Christian faith uh, and rock solid and passionate Christian faith Mm -hmm. because as he explored the evidence, he realized, my goodness, the mountains of evidence for the resurrection are overwhelming. He wrote a book about it. For people who want an even more scholarly approach, there's nobody more scholarly in the New Testament world than N.T. Wright. Mm -hmm. Uh, We love N.T. Wright in this church. We agree with 98% of what he says, (laughs) um, which is really high. Yeah. Uh, And he wrote, he set out to write the most scholarly definitive book on the resurrection of Jesus. He thought it would be two or 300 pages. It's seven or 800 pages. It's a very big book. It is phenomenal and heavy and, and scholarly and for the intellectuals out there, you cannot do better than N.T. writes The Resurrection of the Son of God. It covers everything, and then it covers a bunch of things you didn't think anybody needed to cover. <laughs> uh, he's so passionate about this that after he wrote that book, he decided to write a sequel uh, called Surprised by Hope, which is also about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis, uh, Mere Christianity, mm-hmm. and other books would also get you to the same place. Um, so, these are some of the books that have influenced me and the pastors here at Hope. Uh, and I want to just share a summary of some of those things. So, without further ado, let's jump into our two-minute drill. Let's do it. Two-minute drill. Okay, jumping in. First question, how do you respond to skeptics who say the disciples just stole Jesus' body? Yep, skeptics will come up with uh, a lot of what they think are very reasonable things, uh, the, uh, objections to the resurrection of Jesus. And the reason they have to do this is because they start with an assumption. Everybody has a bias. Skeptics have a bias too. I have a bias. Mm -hmm. You have bias. We all have bias that we bring into any conversation. And the bias of skeptics of a resurrection is that it's just not possible. 
because I have seen no scientific evidence of a resurrection, and in this enlightened world, uh, we say for the last two or three centuries, we know that resurrections don't happen, although there's debate on that too. Uh, but the skeptics will say, since resurrections don't happen now, they couldn't happen to Jesus back then. Or they say, here's another explanation for it. And among other things, they'll, they'll come up with theories like the disciples stole the body uh, or the authorities stole the body or dogs stole the body. That's my favorite <laughs> yeah. one. Uh, but the disciples stealing the body is probably the most prominent of those because they say the authorities stealing the body makes no sense whatsoever. Sure. The authorities had everything to lose if Jesus was raised from the dead. Sure. If they could pull his dead body out of the tomb and they had all the authority to do so, mm-hmm. the Roman government, the temple priests, all they would have had to do is roll the tombstone away, go in, pull his body out, put it out on display, and everybody who was saying he is risen would have to stop. Mm. Because he's clearly not risen. Yeah. You're saying he's risen, but here's his dead body. He died on the cross and here's his body. Mm-hmm. We pulled it out from the tomb. This is Jesus. He's not risen. And Christianity has stopped, dead in its tracks. But here's what's interesting. The Roman Empire is gone. Uh, The temple's gone. But Christianity still stands. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so, the worldly powers that that had the power back then have have faded, and the the Christianity has risen. And one of of the things that leads to that is truth, uh, or at least the evidence that supports that truth. So... The thing with the disciples stealing the body is the bell rings. I'll give the very short answer. They had no motivation. They had no means. They weren't armed soldiers. Um, they were absent at the cross, mm-hmm. except for John and some of the women. They were unarmed. Uh, one of them had just denied Jesus. One of them had just betrayed Jesus. Thomas was a doubter. Mm-hmm. James, the brother of Jesus, uh, there's evidence that he was a doubter too. Uh, they wanted to leave. They wanted to scatter. They were ready to go. So, disciples stealing the body, they didn't have any motivation or means. Uh, The authorities stealing the body, that'd be the opposite of what they'd want to do. They'd want to pull the body out so everybody could see it. Um, And dogs stealing the body, I I don't even (laughs) think that's really worth the dignity of a response. (laughs) But I have heard that. Yeah, it's it's on like the Discovery Channel, so you know it's true. Right. Second question, do most ancient texts and gospels claim Jesus didn't rise from the dead? Uh, no, they don't. Actually, all of the ancient texts say that he did, uh, that we have, that archaeologists have been able to find. Archaeologists have never been able to find any manuscript of an ancient document that says Jesus didn't rise from the dead. In fact, when you do the math, it's overwhelming. There are 23,986 manuscripts uh, for, of, of the ancient writings pointing to the resurrection of Jesus Christ that all say the same thing, that Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose from the dead. There are zero manuscripts from the same time period that say he didn't. Hmm. So, 23,986 to zero. There are also sources. That's just copies of sources, right? Mm -hmm. So, there are nine different sources, the four Gospels plus five more, Mm -hmm. that all say Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, That compares to the number of sources uh, that point to historical uh, events that we have no trouble believing in. I, I don't. Caesar's Gaelic War happened, right? We've mm-hmm. learned that in history in school. Um, there are less manuscripts that point to that than point to Jesus' resurrection. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are other examples of this all, all across the way. Usually one, maybe two manuscripts dated from the same ancient time period say that uh, this event happened. There are nine manuscripts that's, I'm sorry, nine sources that mm-hmm. say Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah. And there are uh, close to 24,000 copies of those those sources, 
that say Jesus rose from the dead. There's also something else when we do the math. There's one other thing to measure, according to textual scientists, like F.F. Bruce from Oxford, who says, compared to any other ancient historical event from the same time period, nothing stands even remotely close to us trusting the authenticity of the ancient written documents that, in fact, Jesus lived, died, and rose from the dead. Mm. Uh, and this is not always believers who are scholars who say this. It's also agnostics who acknowledge... Yeah, when it comes to the manuscripts, when it comes to the text, mm-hmm. if you do the math, there's no way around it. I've never thought about it in comparison to those other things. That's interesting. It is, I think. And again, evidence, not proof, right? So, so this doesn't mean, well, just because the, the sources and the copies in the ancient manuscripts say that Jesus rose from the dead doesn't mean it's true. Mm. But when you realize that there are almost 24,000 copies of these manuscripts that say yeah. it's true, and there are none. Yeah. that say it, it, that it isn't true, that's pretty overwhelming. Yeah. And it starts to become harder not to believe than it does to believe. Which is on to our next question. Right. Does the content of the biblical accounts make the resurrection more or less likely? More likely. Uh, if you were going to make up a story about Jesus rising from the dead, you wouldn't do it like the Gospels do it. You wouldn't write the story this way because it makes the disciples look bad Peter's a denier, Judas is a betrayer, Thomas is a doubter. If you're going to make up a story that you're in, (laughs) you're you're not going to become like the bad person who did the wrong thing or didn't get it uh, or looks foolish uh, or or looks unfaithful. You're going to manufacture a story where you're kind of heroic. You know, Mm -hmm. while everybody else doesn't believe, we believed. So, if you're the disciples and you're making up the story, you wouldn't have written it this way. You would not have written it with uh, women as heroes either. And mm-hmm. it's women who are the heroes on Easter Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's uh, the women who come to the tomb, and they're the first witnesses mm-hmm. to Jesus' resurrection. Why wouldn't you write women in as the heroes? Because it was a misogynistic culture, even more so than today, mm-hmm. where there was an incredible bias against women. Women, it was believed sinfully at that in that time period, were not to be considered trusted sources. Mm-hmm. And so, if you're going to make up a story about the resurrection of Jesus, you'd put men coming to the tomb mm-hmm. first and foremost at sunrise on Easter, because it's more believable that way. You'd mm-hmm. be able to convince more people if you were coming up with some sort of scam. You'd be the heroes. There'd be men at the tomb, not women. Women wouldn't even be written into the story at all there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'd just be edited out. So, why did they? Why do we have the Gospels the way we have them? Mm-hmm. There are all sorts of potential explanations, but by far the simplest and most logical explanation is, this is the way it happened. Yeah. Jesus rose from the dead and women came to the tomb that morning. And so, that's the way it's written because it's true. Uh, the disciples aren't heroic. They don't get it, at least at first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the way the story's written because it's true. Yeah. That's the way it happened. There's... Uh, also this, that historically, Jesus wasn't the only person called the Messiah, back a Messiah back in those days, an anointed one from God. There were historically, and N.T. Wright writes about this, somewhere between 10 or 12 different Messiah types that were roaming mm-hmm. around during uh, the century before or after Jesus did. And there, the, he, these Messiahs had followers, disciples, mm-hmm. people who were students of theirs. So, in every other case, when a Messiah died, that was it. And the Messiah's followers would scatter or they would elect a new Messiah. 
because their cause was the thing. Yeah. It wasn't about the leader. It was about their cause. Yeah. It was about their movement. So, if you're going to make up a story about your Messiah tragically dying on the cross mm-hmm. uh, when just a few days ago he marched into Jerusalem as, as the new king, right, on Palm Sunday, mm-hmm. if you're going to create and manufacture a story about his death and resurrection, y- you have no basis to say he rose from the dead. Messiahs didn't rise from the dead. That was not a part of the story. And so, for, the disi- for us to get the story the way we have it in the Gospels only adds to the evidence for the resurrection. Because if it didn't happen this way, you wouldn't have written it this way. Yeah. If you were just making it up. It wasn't a thing. No, it wasn't a thing. There was there, that's not what happened to Messiahs when they died. When yeah. Messiahs died, they were dead. Yeah. And there's their their followers either scattered, which the disciples did at first. Uh-huh. Or they would have elected James, Jesus' brother, to be the new Messiah. And it's, and let's just keep the movement going. But they didn't. Mm-hmm. Something else was going on. Yeah. Uh, question four, why should we put so much faith in the claims of just a few witnesses? Yeah, that's the other assumption is, well, there's 12 disciples minus Judas, and so now there's 11. If you add the women in and some of the other followers of Jesus, you know, maybe some people get up to 100, 150 followers of Jesus at the time. It's not a huge group. And they say, well, the only ones who really saw Jesus were a few of these women and then people like Peter mm-hmm. and others later. But that's not actually reading the whole text. Uh, Later in the New Testament, we discover Paul makes this really strong statement. He says, if you don't believe Jesus really rose from the dead, um, talk to the people who are still around, who are still alive today, as Paul's writing these letters Mm -hmm. to the early church. Talk to the people who saw him risen from the dead. They saw him die, or they, they know that his dead body was put in the tomb, and then they saw him alive again. If you don't believe what I'm writing... Ask them, he says, Jesus appeared to over 500 of us. Mm. And so, there's more than just a few witnesses, eyewitnesses. There's over 500 of these eyewitnesses. There's also this. People will say, yeah, but when you read the different gospel accounts, there's some details that are a little bit off. Like one of the gospels says, it's just Mary Magdalene coming to the tomb. And and others say it's Mary and and there are a lot of Marys (laughs) in this story, right? (laughs) Mary Magdalene and another Mary. Uh And and others have a a larger group of women coming to the tomb. And they say, so see, therefore, it's not legit Hmm. because they can't get their story straight on how many women showed up at the tomb. But if there's a a catastrophic event, and that's exactly what this is, I mean, uh, uh, an epic event going on in our lives. Yeah. Uh, and four different reporters, let's say three different reporters from all the local news stations here in Des Moines, show up to cover and report on some big epic event. Mm-hmm. And another reporter from the Des Moines Register comes to do that, our newspaper locally here. And so you have four different reporters covering the same story. They're not going to write word for word the same story. Right. Uh, and they might even get some of the details wrong uh, as they report it the first time. Mm-hmm. But here's what's remarkable. On all of the big things... In this epic story, all four gospel writers agree. Jesus went on trial. Jesus was tortured. Jesus was crucified on a cross. Mm -hmm. Jesus' uh, body, dead body, was laid in a tomb. And Jesus was alive after that. and And the tomb was empty. And he appeared to different people. That's four different reporters covering the same story. Yeah that all come to the same conclusion on the big things, not the details of who exactly roll call showed up yeah. uh, first thing Sunday morning. 
But the big things, the things that we put our faith in, mm-hmm. or Jesus Christ, they all say the same thing. If you have if you have all three different local TV stations and the newspaper covering the same event, and they all say they all agree on the five major points, mm-hmm. it's pretty trustworthy. Yeah, yeah. Last question: What's the best evidence for the resurrection? In my opinion, yeah. Right. So this is me. Other people might see this differently. In my opinion, the best evidence for the resurrection is is the transformation. Uh, of the disciples, the, mm. the change. So we know on Friday they are justifiably scared. They're they're running for their lives. Everything has completely fallen apart. Uh, Judas betrayed Jesus. He's arrested. The disciples are all there uh, when it happens. Even though they're a little sleepy, <laughs> um, they wake to see this. Mm-hmm. They they see the whole thing caving in, and they realize that this is getting real. That's why Peter ends up denying Jesus three times, and that's why the other disciples disappear, except for the women and except for John, who stick with him and actually are there present to witness Jesus' death on the cross. None of the other disciples, there's no record of any of the other disciples being there. And before we get too hard on them, let's just remember, that's a very uh, human and safe response. There's even some wisdom to it. Uh, They knew they could be next. Mm-hmm. That if they're associated as Jesus' uh, closest followers and he's getting executed for what he did, they could be arrested, tortured, and possibly executed next. So they are hiding out. They're running for their lives. That's Friday. <laughs> yeah. What happened to them? Because not long after that, uh, starting Sunday, <laughs> and then the next days after that, uh, the days that follow after Easter, if you will. Suddenly, they're bold, and they're loud, and they're proclaiming the good news that Jesus is risen in public squares, even though they're threatened mm. when they say it. Uh, some of them are, are um, beaten for it, and eventually some of them are executed for it. So, you have to ask yourself, why would you die for a lie? Mm. Why, why would you allow yourself to get arrested and beaten and uh, executed for something that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. If you were a part of some farce, some made-up religion, some some made-up story, when your life is on the line, wouldn't one of the disciples cracked? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't most of them have said mm-hmm. it? The same ones who were running for their lives before, suddenly they have this uh, confidence, this boldness. They don't care what happens to them anymore. Yeah. Because they've got news that's so good, they're willing to die for it. Yeah, They're willing to sacrifice everything for it. Because the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. And to me, that's the most compelling evidence. And that's going to lead us into our deeper dive. Yeah. All right. So, let's, let's take that and say, so if, if the resurrection is real, let's just start there and say, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ really happened and the evidence points to it, and <laughs> in a two-minute drill, even though I went over on each one, mm-hmm. in a two-minute drill, we can only cover so much ground. Yeah. Right. And if you want more, there's 800 pages of NT Wright waiting for you. Yeah. Uh, in, in scholarly works that will go through in detail uh, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. But let's just start with if the resurrection is real, because the disciples believed it mm-hmm. for sure, and they believed it because they saw it. They saw eyewitness evidence that here's Jesus. He was dead, and now he's alive again. So if if, and the evidence for Jesus' death, some people say, well, there's a swoon theory. He didn't really die. 
he fell asleep and then he woke up in the tomb and it wasn't really a resurrection. It was mm-hmm. just, you know, a near death kind of thing. And then he woke up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem with that is that Roman soldiers were professional executioners. It was their job. And there's no historical evidence of anybody who ever survived a crucifixion. It killed people every a hundred percent of the time. So Jesus' death, even even skeptics who are historical scholars, like yeah, that's not our best mm. uh, kind of you know shot against the resurrection. Yeah. So Jesus died, the tomb is empty, and there are witnesses who say they saw him alive again, mm-hmm. uh, and that makes a pretty compelling case. So if the case is true, and if it points to a truth that Jesus rose from the dead. It's not just going to transform the disciples. Mm-hmm. It's going to transform us. Mm-hmm. It's going to change the way we see our lives, what we live for, what's most important. C.S. Lewis was an atheist who got led to faith by uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, the guy who lo- wrote Lord of the Rings. They were both professors at Oxford. And Tolkien challenged Lewis. He said, well, you think as a, as a rational um, intellect – and an academic, that there could be no case for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he challenges to just look into it. So, like Lee Strobel, uh, like others who've looked into it, C.S. Lewis looked into it and was overwhelmed by the evidence. Mm -hmm. And he became a Christian. And he wrote Chronicles of Narnia and Mere Christianity and a bunch of other stuff, which is really about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, the lion in Chronicles of Narnia is Jesus, and he dies, and what does he do? He rises from the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, Lewis writes this. He says, here's the thing about Jesus and the resurrection. Either it's all made up, and if it's all made up, then it's of no importance. I'm paraphrasing Lewis here. Uh, and if it's, a, it, it's true, it's of the utmost importance. Mm-hmm. But what it can't rationally or logically be is just moderately important. Mm. <laughs> so... But that's the way it is for most people in our world today. Yeah. Right? I'm sure you see it. Yeah. That you see friends of yours, people in life like, well, yeah, I kind of think maybe, I don't know. I, I'm not really going to take any time to look into it or, or consider my faith because it's just sort of moderately important. Yeah. It's not the most important thing in my life, um, but it's not totally unimportant either. And Lewis is saying that's the only thing that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. If it didn't happen, then like Paul, then we are most of all to be pitied, we should just stop. But if it did happen, if Jesus did rise from the dead, then the only rational thing to do is to live for this, mm-hmm. to make this the core of who we are uh, and this message that we want to get out, uh, this, this powerful message of hope. Uh, and that's why Easter is so important for us as Christians. That's yeah. why the resurrection is so important for us, uh, because we have this good news to share that Jesus Christ lived, he died, and he rose from the dead. So, thank you for asking your good questions, Emily. Yeah. But uh, what do you hear when you hear all that? And what, what would be a mic drop moment uh, for you in this conversation? Or as you think about the resurrection of Jesus? You know, I it strikes me differently because I I don't often doubt these things. I believe it. And I, uh, some might say, would have like the gift of faith yep. where I don't ask uh, a ton of questions of this all the time because I believe it. Uh, but I do also think that it would be unwise not to look into these things mm-hmm. and to be smart about it. And so I think that that's so cool. For me, the mic drop moment today was question five was, uh, what's the biggest evidence? And I think that uh, your answer about it being the transformation is such a cool one because 
you're right about all of those things. There had to be uh, something that they totally believed in and trusted for them to totally flip. And I also want that for my life. I want to be a disciple like that yeah. of of to totally live differently because I believe this and I do. I am a disciple. And so I want to spread the good news and I want to, you know, proclaim the gospel and have joy. And I, I do all those things. But when you think about the details of being just like those disciples, that that's cool. Like that, that it just gives cool. you, that gives me energy. Yeah. And that's good. I, I'm glad you said that. Two things I want to pull out from what you just said. One is that you have this gift of faith. I know that about you. Yeah. And you're not the only one. This church is filled with people, who, and every church is filled with Christians who have this gift of faith. Mm-hmm. And so for them, it's like, oh, well, okay. That, oh, that, I'm glad there's evidence mm-hmm. for the resurrection, but you don't need it. My, my grandpa put it to me this way once. We, we were watching something on one of these documentaries when I was a little kid, uh, and my grandpa was a scholar. He was the dean of students at a, at a Lutheran college out in Tacoma, mm-hmm. Washington. He was a superintendent of schools in Ketchikan, Alaska before that. Uh, a pioneer, you know, he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's, he'd love to read, he loved to research, he loved to study. Uh, and he, uh, he loved his grandkids. And so he would do everything he possibly could to get into these spiritual conversations with us. Uh, because he wanted us to have this peace and joy that he had because of his relationship uh, with Jesus Christ and by God's amazing grace. So we're watching, because my grandpa picked it, in Search of Noah's Ark. I don't know if anybody remembers this, but it was this big documentary that was on TV back in the day. And Leonard Nimoy, the guy who played Spock on Star Trek, was narrating it. Mm. And, and they were looking at, at all these different evidence for, we think we might have found a piece of ancient you know, wood from the Ark. And so, there's, they're testing it for, for how old it is. And could it possibly be Noah's Ark? And I, I'm getting all excited. And I said, Grandpa, isn't this great that they're going to be able to prove that this is Noah's Ark so then everybody will believe? Mm. And he just sits back in his calm, you know, gentle spirit, scholarly way. And he kind of, you know, kicks back in his chair. He says, well, Mike, that would be nice, but I don't need to see it proof. I don't need to see the proof mm. in order to believe it. Mm-hmm. It's very much like doubting Thomas with Jesus after he's risen from the dead, right? Sure. Jesus says... Thomas, you'd be more blessed if you could believe it without needing to see it, mm. without needing the proof, because every great relationship is based on faith, mm. right? So, uh, the two of us as coworkers, right? We trust. There's got to be trust. Yeah. Uh, we have to uh, be honest uh, with our coworkers. We have to be honest with family members, mm-hmm. with loved ones. In our marriages, we have to be honest with our spouses, mm-hmm. um, and that builds trust. Trust and faith are synonymous, and that's what God wants in his relationship with us. That's mm-hmm. why Jesus says, like my grandpa said to me, it's basically saying, Mike, it'd be better if you could believe in the stories of the Bible without the proof. Mm-hmm. You'd actually have a better life. Mm-hmm. You'd have a stronger faith. You'd have a better relationship with God because it would be based on something even better than proof. It'd be based on faith. It'd be based on trust. Mm. It'd be based on the ultimate component of our relationship with God. So even though this podcast is about the evidence, yeah. not proof, but the evidence of Jesus' resurrection, I'm intrigued by that. Yeah. But ultimately, I want to close by telling people um, 
what Jesus told Thomas, you'd be more blessed if you could believe it without needing the evidence, mm. without needing the proof, it, having the gift of faith that you have, mm-hmm. which is a great blessing to you, Yeah, uh, I'm sure, and has been transformational to you. Mm-hmm. So, that's the first thing that you have this gift of faith. And the second thing is the way that plays out in your daily life. Mm. And people can see that in you. People can see what you live for. And I'm not trying to set you up on a pedestal like <laughs> yeah, St. Emily. Don't right? do that. <laughs> the perfect example of <laughs> the Christian faith, not right? Not going to go well. But, but you are uh, an example for, for, all, for the community around you, for this church. Uh, because we see in you what you live for. We see what matters most. We see how passionately you carry out your calling and vocation as a minister here in this church. I hope people see that in all of us as Christians. Yeah. Uh, that that I hope they see the transformation. Yeah, I hope they see the change. It doesn't perfect us, but it allows us to have our eyes open to see spiritually what it is we're doing here and, and what we what we should live for. So, mic drop moment for me is when you said that you have this faith, uh, mm-hmm. and that that is something that a lot of people have, uh, and so they don't need the evidence. The evidence is there; it's nice, but yeah. ultimately, what we all need is faith. Um, so great. Read, read the books. Yeah. Uh, follow N.T. Wright if you want, but more than that, follow El- Emily Langpaul. No. Is my, my, no, this is what I'm saying. <laughs> follow your faith. Fo- follow okay. that kind of faith that leads to transformation. Because even after the disciples got it, it's kind of a cool moment because the gospels are filled with stories where the disciples just don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> they just trip over themselves. It's true. Then they get it. Uh, and even after that, they're still not perfect. They yeah. still are going to mess up, but they're changed. Yeah, they're, that's what I am. Yeah, I mess up a lot. <laughs> that's what. <laughs> but I, I hope too. I'm changed. <laughs> that, that maybe is why we're Lutheran Church of Hope because yeah. that grace thing is so important for yes. us as Lutherans, where we know we're saved by grace through faith in the risen Jesus Christ. Yeah, um, Ephesians two eight and nine. So, thank you, Emily. Yeah, thank you. Good to have you back uh, in the room. Thanks to the Studio New Pew Crew. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. Um, Jesus Christ. There's no better way to end, right? He is risen. Uh, He is risen indeed. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Thanks for joining us today. Please click like, share it with a friend, and subscribe so we can see you next time.